This episode contains sensitive material. Listener discretion advised. You can think of it anything being worse than what I've just told you about. Then it gets a lot worse. It gets a lot, lot worse than that because it's about seven or eight years after the attack. And someone asked me a question about it and I was talking to him and his words were, oh, you don't still think about that, do you? <laughs> I didn't realise, we know now it's PTSD, uh, but I didn't know this at the time. But that that depression was what led me down the road of on the verge of taking my own life. You know, that's that for me, what I'd been doing, I'd been chasing acknowledgement. But then I realised then we were on our own. There was no one there coming to help us. There was no one there with a handout. But what was happening then was I basically buried everything in the back of my head. You know, you go back all those years, people, we're only, even now, we're only just getting men to speak out about mental health. Hello, and welcome to Unexpected Turns, with myself, Anne Dibbon, and me, Julie Tattersall. Today, we welcome back Darren Barden, who survived the most horrendous attack in the safety of his own home, while his wife and young son slept upstairs unaware. Left for dead, he somehow survived. Physically, he healed. But it took many years for the repercussions of the mental injuries to be resolved. Today, we hear how he has dealt with those. And how he's taken things forward to be helping others. Hello, Darren. Good afternoon to both of you. Hi there. I'm back now. Good. Seamlessly done. Yes. <laughs> Last time we spoke about how despite having received multiple stab wounds and being left for dead, you recovered physically, but the mental scars remained. You did receive some help, but at the time you weren't open to um, what that psychologist was saying. Yes. <laughs> it sounds as if it was actually quite inappropriate what you were being offered. I also think, you know, I was, I was probably mostly to blame. You know, in the sense of, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a man, you know, um, who's, you know, we've got to be tough, we've got to be this, you know, we've got to be, the, you know, the defender of your family, the the breadwinner, you know, the you know all of those things, you know, to sort of accept that I needed help was a sign of weakness, a sign of failing, you know, which we yeah. now know, hopefully most people know that's not the case, you know, so, and that's one of the things I work with now as well, but it, it, at the time, it was, you know, you could just, you could just see people's opinions, you know, I was at a, a house party, a family's house party, and um, one of the sort of distant family members come over and they said, can we have a word, like, you know, and we went into another room, and they said, like, look, you can tell us, like, you, you must have known who it was. You know, and you're like, really? You know, this was years after, you know. So I was getting all of this and, and bottling it all up, not talking to anybody about it. You know, these guys just thought, you know, that they were asking a perfectly normal question, you know. And, it's, but, and so you, you live with that all along as well, you know, that, that side of things, which was tough. But to open up as a man and say, listen, you know, I, I've sat on the kitchen floor and cried. I've cried in the shower. I've cried myself to sleep at night. You know, it just didn't happen then. It yeah. didn't happen. And for a lot of people, it didn't happen. That's my, that's my quest now. That's what I go on and do now and why I'm doing the stuff that I do. So how how did you come through this? How did When did you get help and how did, how did that help? 
I think when I wrote the book was a turning point for me as much as anybody else that received a bit of help from the book. So during the process, and the book was quite funny, actually, because my wife had received an email at work, but it was it was to her boss about a free book writing course. You could turn up for free and she'd sent it. It went to her addressed to her boss, but it landed at her email address. So she went and spoke to the boss. He said, oh, not another one of those like this. So she said, you're right, I've forwarded it on to Darren. Right. Because everyone had been telling me to write a book. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't really read, you know, I didn't even really read books at the time. You know, I think I'd probably read, you know, two books in my life. You know, one of them was Stick of the Dump when I was at school. So, uh, <laughs> we you know, so to, the thought of writing a book just had an end in my head. You know, I, I don't think I was academically gifted enough to do this. Um, however, I had said to me why she said well look it's free you've got nothing to lose why don't you go on the course it was actually on my daughter's birthday on a Sunday it's four hours in Heathrow and off I went with a guy called Richard McMunn done his course four hours but the course gave you everything you needed to do to write a book and self-publish however if I'd been left on my own devices it would never have been written you know so but you could pay this guy, I think it was about a £1,000 at the time, and they would mentor you over 12 months and help you through the whole process. You know, the book, I wrote the whole book. Everything in there is me. The cover, my son designed the cover. I came up with the name, you know, so everything is me. They just mentor you through the whole process. And keep uh, you going, the, really. Absolutely, yeah, and you're accountable. You're yeah. accountable, you know. So, I mean, there's days, Wendy come home from shopping once, and I'm sitting on the, the armchair with a laptop on my lap, and crying my eyes out as I'm writing and she's like but you you need to stop and I'm like but I'm enjoying myself because <laughs> so, I was it was great I was, I was putting things down on paper that I hadn't spoke to anyone about mm. you know the real detail about the stabbing you know those little moments the thoughts that went through your mind you know and the smell when I went back to the house after the smell of the congealed blood and things like that the stuff that I'd never really spoken about or thought about much I was then writing because I needed to paint the picture for the reader. Mm. And it was, it was so, and I think you call it cathartic, you know, where, where it, it was almost like a form of counselling for me, you know, later on in my life, you know. So, and this was only, uh, when did I write it? So it got published five years ago. So this would have been six years ago that I sort of discovered that I could do this, you know, and, you know, I just, I just wrote the book and, what was the great thing was, was my book launch was on a on a Thursday, and the guy had said to me, "Look, if you get if you invite about a hundred people to a book launch, you might get about thirty responses, and if you get about fifteen to twenty people turn up, you'll be doing really well." So I said, "Right, okay then. So I'll invite two hundred people and see how we get on." Anyway, one hundred and thirty people turned up, wow. and this and this guy said, uh, "Richard McMahon said to me, he said, I'm never." For, some, for an unknown person to launch a book with 130 people, we'd never seen it, you know. So, and it was, so that side of things was brilliant. Virtually overnight, I became a best selling author. Um, so the book wasn't a bestseller, it was me that became a best selling author. It's how the categories go within, within the ratings. I don't understand all that myself. But on the Thursday night, someone I know who had worked with and I'd helped him work several years before, they drove a long way, about four hours from a book launch. Wow. And like I say, it's, it's quite important to realise this was on a Thursday night. So on the Saturday morning, he started texting me and he said, Darren, he said, I've read your book. And I thought, wow, I don't even think my mum had read it at this point, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, 
and he, this was over the course of a day, and he was texting me and saying to me, look, as a child, I was beaten by my dad, my mum was beaten by my dad. In my adult life, I've had depression and anger, uh, anger bouts. He said, but I read your book. He said, I'm going to go to the doctors. I'm going to go and get myself sorted. He said, you really inspired me. And for me, I was I was overwhelmed with this. I thought, oh, wow, someone's got some good out of my book. You know, I didn't know what I was doing with the book. I didn't, I just wrote my story. And anyway, about five or six weeks later, I got a message via Facebook from his wife who said, thank you. She said, thank you. I've got my husband back, like, you know. So that once again then gave me, filled me full of pride. But it, that was in the April. In the January, we was at a conference up in Manchester and he came over to me he said Darren I need to tell you my story so I said well you've already done that mate he said no no I need to tell you the real story so I said go on then so he said look I was beaten as a child by, by my dad my mum was beaten I had the bat I said yeah that's you've already told me that mate. he said no he said your book launch was Thursday April the 12th now nobody nobody remembers that other than me you know my wife and kids don't even remember it you know it's a it's a poignant moment for me but not for anyone else but he remembered the date so I said, oh, right. He said, yeah. He said, I want you to know that I had my suicide notes written to my wife and children. He said, I had a stash of drink, a stash of tablets, and I was taking my own life that weekend. He said, and then I read your book. And now he lives, I see him on Facebook, we've enjoying life with his kids. He's had promotion at work, wow. you know. And this is not about this is not about me saving him. He always tells everyone I saved his life, but it's, this was just me putting my hands up and saying, you know, sometimes us blokes are rubbish when it comes to mental health. You know, we're we're not great with that side of things. And but when I because I reached out and I put my hands up and said, look, sometimes life's hard. You know, sometimes we struggle and we need to tell people. Mm-hmm. And that saved his life. That stopped him taking his own life. You know, several years on now, five years on, you know, I see him two or three times a year. He hugs me like a long lost brother because we know we've, we had that moment. Yeah. But I thought to myself then, if I could do that more often. You know, through my experience, suddenly my this thing that had been dragging behind me like an anchor, you know, holding me back, suddenly it had legs. It had it was the wind in me sails. I could go and help other people, mm. you know, just by telling my story. And that was, and like I say, it, this is not about old Darren Barden, best-selling author, and all this sort of stuff. It's it's just by standing up in front of people and saying, you know, life's hard sometimes. You know, we do get problems, you know, but you can speak out or you can look out for other people. And, and that's what I do now. That's That was the turning point for me. It made me realise that I could use this unexpected turn, as we uh, mm-hmm. as we like the phrase, unexpected turn in my life. I could I could use it for good. Mm-hmm. I, so then I started working on certain things. I, I got involved in an, uh, an anti-knife crime um, where I was, because obviously mine was a knife crime, but I was, you know, when you're talking about inner city youths who are killing each other with knives, mine wasn't that. And, I don't think they were listening to me, a middle-aged white bloke in the city, you know. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't connect with them. So I wasn't getting anywhere without, and I want to help, you know, I want to help people. And so that side of things was difficult. And then I realised the one thing I've got is lived in experience in mental health. You know, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counsellor, but I've lived it. And I've come out the other end. So when I stand up and do the talking, and tell people, look, this was my life. This is where I am now. That really inspires people. Yeah, Once again, it's not, a, yeah, it's not about Darren Barden and the story. It's just the fact that someone stood there to go, actually, you know, I can actually change my world. And that's what's happening. And, and that's why I like doing what I do now, you know, is uh, going around and just telling the story, 
telling people where I was, what I've come through and now what I do. And it gives other people hope. And that's that's a real massive part of what I do now going forward. Mm. And you say you help particularly people in construction. Is that right? Yeah. So I work in uh, what's called the tool hire industry uh, for Hilti. Hilti have been brilliant. You know, as a company, as an employer, they've been fantastic. They're very, they're very good with mental health. They make sure the staff, they, um, they look after the people. They're very good with that. I don't think I'd have wrote the book if I had been working somewhere else. You know, they they really encourage a work life balance, and that gave me the freedom to write the book at the time I wrote it. So, Hilti mm. have been fantastic, but that's in the construction industry. Now, there's there's two suicides every single working day. I mean, the numbers are increasing; they fluctuate between you know various sort of um, uh, surveys. But there's there's roughly about two suicides every single day in the construction industry. You know, and and that's that's just too many. You know it's these these people are dying you know they're dying not it's not the job that's killing them necessarily but it's life you know sometimes life gets a hold of people so what i've now done with uh, uh, an app designer is we've we've created a a suicide prevention app and hopefully within the next couple of months we'll launch this and uh it's going to be called italk uh so which is i'm quite proud of as well so we've got italk and it's going to be a traffic light system so red will be if you're suicidal and with people that are suicidal you can't fix the problem you're not going to be able to fix it on an app you're not going to be able to fix it on a phone call if someone's suicidal you need to make them safe that's the that's the one one priority you've got you've got to make them safe so that's what this app will do it will help listen we ain't gonna be able to save everybody you know wish i could but we can't but hopefully we'll save some and if we can bring that number down from two a day to one a day hopefully to none then that'd be great uh, the amber side of it, if people are really struggling and feeling it, we can signpost them to get help. And then the green in the traffic light system will just be people are looking for some advice before they've got that far, you know. So so this will launch off the back of a QR code, hopefully within the next couple of months. Um, it's been a lot of time in the, in the making. Um, and like I said, for me, that, that's saving lives. It's preventing people getting to that point where I was. And if they do get to that point where I was, there's somewhere they can go. You know, a good friend of mine, John, he works for a big construction company. He said, Darren, he said, look, they want to get a mental health room where the builders can go on site. You know, we've got prayer room, we've got a drawing room, we've got food room, we've got every possible room, but we've got nowhere to go. Can you come up with something? And I said, well, you can't because we're men and we're rubbish with mental health. We won't want to be seen to be walking into a room that yeah. says mm. the mental health room. You know, I said, we need to think about something else. And and that's what inspired me to come up with this app. So the QR code will go on the back of every toilet door and the site. So they can, if they're struggling, you know, being men, they can go in privacy of their own little cubicle, scan the QR code and do it via the phone. You know, so that's, that's the mission. And hopefully that will be launched anytime over the next two or three months i'm hoping fingers crossed <laughs> so, but yeah exactly and then we can you know we can really save lives you know and it's yeah and that's what i want to do you know if the needle only had to turn a little bit a different way for me and i wouldn't be here having this conversation with you you know i've, I mean, I've got an incredible wife who's lived through that whole episode of depression you know the ptsd my mum and dad ever supportive my sister my kids you know my kids grew up wendy protected them from a lot of the stuff that i was doing you know, so they grew up not knowing a lot of stuff. I asked her to proofread my book when I wrote it, and uh, she cried for most of it because she didn't know it all. You know, so she didn't know half of what was going on. 
So, and but they, you know, they're in their twenties now, and you know, both help me do what I do. So, it's the, the mission now is to save lives. Mm. You know, so if I the, if I can save you know one more life over and above, you know what I've done, then just by standing there and saying, "Listen, this is this is me, and we can get better. There is hope," you know, and that's what I want to do. I think the the idea of the link on the back of the toilet doors and everything is just so ideal yeah. and getting to the people at the right time like you say in a private way well, yeah so. i mean when guys are on a, if you're on a building site you know and listen as, as i said because i'm a man i you know i lived it i lived the sort of depression through the man's eyes and it's you know mental health on a building site is still predominantly a male orientated industry um you know they are changing those numbers and it's not just to say you know women can't use this it's anybody can use this but when i talk it's it's through mm. Through man's your experience, eyes. a man's eyes, you know, because different um, capabilities, yeah, exactly. So, you know, so it's, but yeah, so it's, it's good now. I'm going to write another book. I'm going to help salespeople out with their mental health and anxiety as well, younger salespeople. So that's one of the other jobs I'm doing as well. I'm going to write another book, but it's it's going to be more of a coaching book than it is my story. Although a bit of my story will be in there because I need to know why I do what I do. But yeah, yeah but that's that's the mission now. It's, it's something I enjoy. I get a great reward helping other people i mean suicide in young males is one of the biggest things isn't it at the moment yeah we hear this yeah. quite regularly so yeah you know, to be addressing it in the way you are i think will be really useful for for people to know about it is you know a, a friend of mine alan savile he lost his son 10 years 10 years ago this christmas just gone you know to suicide you know a young man I think he was 28 at the time, you know, he took his own life. And, you know, Alan's, Alan's had to live there. They've now got a charity called Ian's Chain, which I do a little bit of work with. And, you know, to see the damage that suicide had on, you know, his parents and the people around them. You know, I've seen it. Another friend of mine, John, who took his own life on his birthday, I think it's his 30th birthday, you know, to see the impact that had on his mum and dad and sister. You know, mm -hmm. this is... You know, this is real, and it's you know once the, these people are gone, and you, to be as low as you possibly can to want to take your own life and actually go through with it, you know these people that say I oh, to cry for help, well maybe it is in the early stages, but these people that actually go through with it, they just can't see a way out. You know mm. that's sad. I think you know people with normal families, normal backgrounds, mm. you know taking their own lives. You know, and now you're getting teenage suicide as well, which is horrendous you know the younger they are it's just you know it's harder to comprehend what's going through their minds you know i could pinpoint it and say well actually i had a really bad experience but some of these people are, are taking their own lives it's hard to find why they did it you know yeah. why is it they can't see a life ahead of them you know but the, the knock-on effect you know my, my mom listening to this interview when she sits and listens to it will just cry she'll just cry she hates it she listens to every single one, but you know, at fifty-five as I am now, I'm still a little boy. You know, yeah, you yeah. know, and my dad, my dad's sort of brought up in the East End of London. You know, he was a man's man, and he will, you know, he's seventy-six now. He, he would go to his grave, not knowing that he, he wanted to deal with someone who'd done it. You know, he wanted someone to pay for what happened to me. You know, so there's a there's a bitterness, there's, and I survived. You know, I'm doing well now and it's still impacting my parents. It still impacts people around me. So, you know, just I can only I can't even imagine what a parent must go through when 
their child takes their own life mm. you know and that's why if i can stop that yeah. from happening then great yeah is it but and, but as you say the first bit is trying to get people to talk and you know judy's yeah. got two girls i've got two boys and just they don't my two boys don't talk about their feelings they yeah. don't they never have and you know and i find it very very difficult you know to to kind of coax them into saying anything if it's good or bad and i think people that are in the in particularly as you say the construction industry they are expected to put up a front and be tough so yeah who do they talk to you know they're probably not talking to their mums or like you they even their wives and girlfriends it doesn't it's, it's more and more people now that are bottled up are trying to help you know there's a there's a bit of a movement going on and you know over the last couple of years and i want to be part of that you know movement where we we are helping people when it comes to say your son is one of the things i focus on when i stand up and do my talks is that we talk about this number four in uh, one in four people are struggling with mental health anxiety you know suicidal thoughts i think the number's greater than that but you know i, I don't do the numbers but that for me means there's three in four people to look out for the one in four you know, mm. and that's what I would encourage boys to do, you know, especially boys, you know, that if you've got a group of your mates and you're all on a WhatsApp chat and you'll go up the pub on a Friday and then someone then they're not really in the WhatsApp group. They suddenly start not turning up on a Friday and things like that. What we tended to do, we say things like miserable sod, like, you know, oh, don't worry about him. He can't be bothered to come out. Yeah. Well, actually, there's three of you out of the four that could just ask. Is everything all right? You know, and the person will probably say, yes, it's fine. Like, yeah, but then ask again, you know, and ask again because yeah, it's that point, that asking again, where one day they might just go, actually, you know what? No, you know, I've got this problem, that problem, and this is what's happening, you know, and that, that saves lives. That really saves lives. So my message to young men, boys, you know, uh, grown men, wherever it may be, is it's not just about trying to get someone to reach out when they're struggling. It's actually keeping an eye out for your friends and your family. You know, that's that's probably the, yeah. the biggest factor because I know when I was at my lowest, the last thing I wanted to do was reach out and tell anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody, you know. Mm. And I'm, I'm hoping that stigma's going. I'm hoping that's going and more and more men can talk out. But at the time, was I going to go to my dad and say, Dad, I'm really struggling. I'm crying myself to sleep at night. You know, I just, I, it, it wasn't even a consideration which is sad. It's, it's sad that we think like that, you know, it's wrong because I should be able to phone my dad up or my mate up and say, you know, by the way, I'm struggling with life, you know, but we don't. So what you then need is the, the majority of people in around that person to ask. And trust me, if they ask and then ask again yeah. and ask again, it saves lives. That's the big thing for me. That really is a big thing. It is. As you say, that mental health, I mean, I know, I know someone else and I said why didn't you tell me why didn't you tell me and she said but you were going through a lot I didn't want to tell you <laughs> and I said yeah but we could have talked about our troubles together and I actually said to her I think I would have felt better knowing that we were both struggling <laughs> yeah. than yeah you know it's and so like you people know you've struggled yeah absolutely and this, this is a great thing now you know when I when I stand up I've got an award um I can't remember what the award was for now oh uh the help I give other people in, in within our company, you know. In fact, actually, it's called the. Uh, oh, it's uh, that one. I noticed a cup on the side. Yeah, it's called the Legacy Cup. So, uh, I was presented that in January in front of uh, a lot of people at 
and Manchester. Oh, well done. Because of the work I do with helping others, you know, and, and people do, they take a lot from it. Yeah. You know, they're not going to phone me up and go, oh, by the way, thanks for that, Darren. I'm, I'm there doing this. They, they're just going about their normal lives, you know, and, and actually every time I'm on the, whether it be the camera on the stage, wherever it may be, I know it helps people. You know, it helps people go, actually, that's me. You know, he's talking about me there. Or, you know, I, I, there's a couple of things. I do a, um, a music festival. It's a rock festival in Colville in the Midlands. And it's two days of rock music with all these bikers with beards and tattoos and leather jackets. That's just the women. So it's a, uh, <laughs> no, not really. It's, just, <laughs> it's, you know, there's some incredible, real great family atmosphere in there. But when I stand and do my talk, you can sort of see people looking as if to say, he's talking about him or her, you know, that could be them, you know, they might be struggling. And afterwards you get this overwhelming uh, gratification coming from the people that you've spoken to, excuse me, where they're like, actually, you know what? That really makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think because I'm not, you know, a, a qualified, you know, uh, psychiatrist, counsellor, doctor, you know, because I just say how I felt and what how I dealt with things, it relates to so many more people mm. and the more I can do that, the more other people will get help. And that's, that's the great thing. That's good. Onwards and upwards saving lives. Your, your son, obviously next generation of young men. Yeah. And does he have a perspective that he then speaks about when he listens to you or, or does he separate himself a bit from the whole thing? No. So we, we're quite lucky. We're very close, you know, so we, we speak, pretty much every day um you know he was around this morning having a cup of tea um i was decorating so i got him to make the tea so um, he's 27 now but what he's taken from all of it is that he looks out for his friends mm. so he'll know someone's gone a bit quiet in the chat he'll be the one that says messages them separately and says you're all right you know or maybe someone's struggling financially you know so they don't come out a little bit and He'll pop round and drop him a few pounds. Say, look, come out, just say nothing, you know. So it's not alone. So he's got that side of things about him, you know. Um, in our house, we joke about a lot of things, you know. That's how we get through bad situations. We take the Mickey out of each other. So the good news is, as brutal as the stabbing was and the depression was, we we still have a smile on our faces about it in the house, and that's what keeps us going. And that's that's the good news. We don't look at it as a a doom and gloom conversation, you know. I was. I was rebuilding uh, under my stairs. I built this massive storage place and was putting in some uh, some coat rails and things like that. So my mum and dad were around and I said, oh, this is where we're going to hang all the coats, you know. So I've got the hanging rail. And my son said to me, my mum and dad, he said, Dad, with your background, should we really have a hanging rail? You know, so <laughs> now my mum doesn't find that funny at all, right, you know, but we do. That's, that's, we've got a weird sense of humour, but it stays with us. And, you know, so they're very mindful of what my past has been about, but they're also now, you know, they go out and help people, both my son and my daughter, you know, wherever they can. Mm. And that's, that's what I'm proud of. I'm so proud that we've given them the platform to be able to help people when they want. It's not, it's not embarrassing to go and ask someone if they need help, you know. And your wife, I mean, she must have had real mm. trauma as well. How did it affect her mentally? Um, you've already talked about your dad, how he still can't cope with the fact that there's nobody to blame. But what about your wife? She was there and had initially realised. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that George was one and, you know, literally, I think he was 13 months old when it happened. Wendy had to kick into 
mum role, role, you know, and I think it distracted her from the trauma of what happened, you know, and then when, the, as the kids were getting older and I went into my depression, she then kicked into, you know, super strong wife mode, you know, so she's always, one of the things we've always worried about is, is it going to come out at some point, mm. you know, we're 20 odd years on now, you know, 26 years on, so, you know, we've, we've we're doing okay. We're doing okay financially. We've got ourselves in a decent position. We're both working well. The kids are doing great, you know. So, we, I, we I'd like to think that it doesn't surface again with Wendy. But I think the distraction of bringing up the family was probably the best tonic she could have had. Mm. You know, we obviously it wasn't a deliberate thing. It just happened. So, but I think for her, that's how she, she got through it. You know, a nappy needs changing. You know, you can't just be oh I'm having a bad day because my husband got stabbed you know the nappy needed changing the baby needed feeding you know so I think that was uh although some of the sleepless nights she may not have welcomed but um no. you know I think she um yeah she had that sort of distraction I think away from the mental health side of things but like you she probably still thinks about it every day oh absolutely yeah there's, there's not a day goes past where we don't think about it you know there's some you know you could be watching a film or a tv program I'm I have a bit of an issue with bullies. So because in my situation that I was in all those years ago, I was defenseless. I had no defense. Mm. I just opened the door and that happened to me. Mm. When I see people bullying, whether it be in the workplace, in a school, even on the TV, it, it's the one thing that really gets to me in my heart. It makes me emotional. So, you know, I could be watching an episode of The Bill or EastEnders or something, you know, and if when there's bullying involved that seems real, it really impacts me because I hate it. I hate to think that someone's defenseless and there's no one there for them. Mm. You know, I, I can't save everybody. I've not got a cape, you know, and fly around the, yeah. the globe, but you know, I wish I did have, but yeah. So there's, and she, she has that as well, you know, situations where she will still have moments, you know, but lucky enough, you know, she's as most of you women are, you're, um, <laughs> so, so you've got superpowers beyond what we've got as men, I can tell you. So and Wendy and my mum are definitely those those type of women as well. I think unlike, as you were saying early on, she probably does talk to her mum and her friends with it. And so that's, you know, that's a support network that a lot of women have got, which yeah. is good. When I, when I went through the depression, Wendy was, she used to go into work and not talk to anybody about what I was at home. This vile husband that she had that was just miserable and some of the stuff I'd done that was, you know, not physical or verbal and things like that, just just the depression, how it got hold of me. You know, I just wasn't a nice person. So she used to be able to go to work and she didn't tell anyone for years, you know. So, and it was her escape. It was her little safe place to go, you know, it was work. She'd go in talk about work, talk about what the girls did the weekend, you know, there was no mention of me in all of this, you yeah. know, until I, I made it all go wrong in a nightclub one night in front of all the work friends, but that's another story entirely. Mm. So that is in the book, it is in the book. So, uh, and then everybody obviously didn't realise. So, uh, but yeah, she used to, that was a nice place for her to go. She could go work, enjoy time there, free time away from all the, the anxiety that I was giving her, you know, so at the time. Mm. like I say if it wasn't for Wendy I wouldn't be sitting here now you know she's she's the one that pulled me through this you know grabbed me by my shirt collar and dragged me through it the depression well she must be feeling very proud I should think though that you have come through in the way you have 
yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so as well, actually. And she, yeah, she, she should be proud of herself, you know, not proud of me, proud of herself, proud of the kids, because, you know, the kids could have gone down a completely different route. You know, it was, there's, there's times in our world where she was almost a single parent family. Although I was here in body, mm. I certainly weren't here in mind, you know. So, you know, the fact that we are where we are now, you know, um, the, uh, me and Wendy, my daughter, Shannon, we went to Lanzarote a couple of weeks ago. And my son flew out with his girlfriend for a few days, you know, and that was our first holiday for a few years. But the fact we're still doing that stuff, you know, she's got to have a sense of pride about that. You know, I really, I really hope she does. And I, I know she does, you know, we do speak about it. So it's a, um, yeah, I think she should be very proud of herself as well as all of us around her. Yeah. You sound like a very special family, actually. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange actually, because, as I said to you early on, you know, my mum, when my mum got breast cancer, I was I was struggling mentally at the time. And my mum got breast cancer. So then we had to sort of rally around my mum and my dad. You know, there was it was, you know, that side of things, as you know, it that's dropping a stone into a pond and watching the ripples going out, you know. And unfortunately for me at the time, I was really, really struggling with my mental health at that point. And I think sort of looking after my mum and dad in that circumstance was was a distraction mm. if you like and didn't I wouldn't say it saved me but it certainly helped you know prolong the inevitable which is the road I ended up going down but yeah so they, yeah you're right it's a it's a special group of people for definite yeah that's good and I think you know you're doing it via an app but everybody needs somebody that they've got a group together like that you need that support network whatever the issue is don't you yeah Absolutely. Look out for each other. You know, there's, there's the first point of call. You, you're breezing through life. You know, you've, you haven't got the financial worries, your family's healthy, everyone's going along nicely, but not everyone's in that same situation. You know, some people you talk to and you might walk away thinking, well, they were rude. You know, ask yourself, you know, what's going on in their world? Mm. You know, that's, that's out of character, you know, and that's the bit I really want to push is, you know, you can't go fixing everybody's problems, but you can certainly, add to the network of people around them yeah well that's a very good bit of advice to perhaps end on yeah <laughs> well i think one other thing is that you've mentioned the construction industry and also the bikers and i think yeah. probably they're two groups and there are others like in the arts world actors and so on that as part of their life they do put a face on or a mask Yes. And I think probably it's those groups of people particularly that are just hiding their real feelings. Absolutely. So it'd be interesting to know which other groups are all in that similar position, I think. Well, being a salesperson, as I am, and my, my wife has actually, I've just heard her just come home now. Um, so she'll uh, vouch for me on this one, is that I was sitting in our living room sobbing my heart out one day. And it, when I when I broke down and cried, it could have been a tin of beans looked the wrong way around in the cupboard. You know, it, it wouldn't take a lot to set you off. And I'm sitting there sobbing and my work phone went and I picked it up. I went, oh, mate, how's it going like this? And she's like, where did that? Yeah. I'm sitting here with a guy sobbing his heart out, falling apart to a guy that's jolly and like in a split second. Exactly. You know, it's a salesman. Yeah. When you write what you're saying, it's that, that persona, that, that mask we wear. You know, so and no one at work would have known that. No one, I, would have, I was seeing customers. They wouldn't have known what world I was going home to, you know, or the person I was going to sleep with, which was me. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you, you're right. He's that. There's, there's 
quite a few industries, you know, in the sporting world is, you know, goes on as well, you know, so there's, there's lots of industries out there and it's, it's not just isolated to men, but it's, it's just that we've been so rubbish over the years mm-hmm. at showing our feelings yeah, and wearing that mask, you know, that, and that's what I want to try and change if I can. Good. Well, looks like you've started on a good path here in doing that. Yes, I have. I have. And uh, this has been great, by the way. I know I've spoken far too much, probably, but <laughs> no, it's it's been really it's been really interesting, and I think hopefully useful to the people that listen to it, and certainly something that's very very much needed. So, yeah, huge thanks, Darren. It's interesting to listen to you, and particularly the the work you're doing and the the way you're leading forward. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, actually, and I appreciate the platform as well to. Uh, to be able to share my story. So thank you to Darren and to our listeners, as always, of Unexpected Turns. As Darren says, too often it is those who appear happy outwardly that are suffering most. So take care, look after your friends, check in with them. Because as we know, if we're suffering, we quite often hide our feelings. We look forward to having you listen to our next podcast.